So today I have like three working titles for this episode. Uh, it's going to be something around the biggest pitfalls of big families or families in general, honestly, because any family with a couple kids can still suffer from some of these. Um, and also just kind of some warning flags, maybe, that the health of your family is not that healthy in the long term. Like it may show up later if we aren't in tune to some of these little stages of development or maybe some little errors, some little pitfalls, some things we can fall into as parents or, or overlook as to, um, when it comes to raising our children. These are just things that Elisha and I have seen in other families. Some of the things our parents did really well in our families, some of the things I think they learned from. No one's ever a perfect parent, and our goal isn't to be perfect parents, but we do love looking around and being like, oh, there's these themes that are consistently showing up in families where the children aren't talking to their parents as adults, or maybe they're resenting their parents as adults. They're our ages, and they don't have the rich, rewarding relationship that we currently have with our parents today. What can we do when it comes to parenting our own children that sets us up for being friends for life and not feeling our children not feeling like, wow, you really messed us up. So I'm sure there's like so many things on this list that would qualify. But these are some these are just a few. OK, these are just some things that have stuck out to us. So if you enjoyed this episode, we love if you enjoy any episode on the Now That We're a Family podcast, we love when you screenshot it, share it to your stories. We love to see who's listening, what episodes you're enjoying. And it does help us get the podcast out to more people when you share with your like-minded friends what we're talking about here on Now That We're a Family. We love when they join the conversation as well. So thank you guys for sharing that. Thank you guys for leaving your ratings or reviews. That's another way uh, that gets the podcast out to more like-minded people in this community. And we just couldn't be more grateful for our listeners. The Now That We're a Family podcast. Wow, Katie, I am drawn in after that introduction. Really? After everything you just said, I I am eager to hear all your thoughts on this topic well, in today's I'm episode. Well, I'm eager to hear yours, Elisha. This isn't like a one-sided rodeo. Yeah, those are the worst. Have you been to a one-sided <laughs> rodeo? <laughs> Can you picture like a bull without a rider? I don't know. Or like a cow without a roper? No, I don't want to picture that. I don't want to picture that either. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, Katie, as time goes on and our children grow in age, you start to see themes that you experienced as a child. Like you, it's the, our kids are coming to an age where like you have memories. I have memories of being that age in our own families. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. And so it, it makes me stop and reflect and contemplate the various things that my parents did that I'm so grateful for. And I think I've taken for granted in a lot of ways. There's, there are so many things that we take for granted, I think from our parents that you don't even realize the significance of it maybe ever, but as you grow and you become you know, more mature as a parent, you probably understand the significance of it more. But in seeing our kids come to, you know, Leon's going to be six next week. And then we've got Lucy, who's going to be five here in a few weeks. It's like, wow, my parents were so intentional already when I was that age. And granted, I had older siblings when I was five and six. And so they had probably grown, you know, maybe when their oldest was six, they weren't 
as intentional, but they learned, they adjusted and they, they made some changes in their life, but it's made me so grateful. And it's really realized how, yeah, it's just, it is so necessary to be vigilant as a parent, like to day in and day out, not take a day, not take a day off of knowing where your child is. And I mean, well, even before that, it's like knowing where you're at. It's like, where, where is my hope coming from? Where's my head? Am I being transformed by the renewing of my mind? Am I going to God's word for direction, for my ground, for, for becoming grounded, you know, and where am I at in my marriage? And you just, you can't take a day off on those things Mm -hmm. ever, because as our children grow, the, the ramifications become so much more severe, yeah, positively or, or negatively. Um, and so, yeah, it's just a, it's a sobering season, I think in regards to parenting. Yeah. So something that initially kind of spawned this thought in me was I'm a big advocate that, well, okay, let's say this. I think there's a lot of myths out there regarding parenting and especially parenting multiple children at one time. And I think one of those things is, is that you can only have one or two kids if you're going to give those children a valuable um, relationship, rich and intentional life experience growing up as a parent. Like you only have so much time to pour into so many children. And I think growing up in a family of 11 kids, Elisha growing up in a family of 10 kids, we've seen that to be disproved, that parents can stretch themselves and grow themselves and by God's grace, pour into you know, a dozen children in a highly effective and intentional and loving way where these children are not shortchanged by their being siblings involved in their lives. And in fact, their lives can be even more rich because of that. So that's something that I like to encourage. Maybe if you feel like your kids have come really close together and people will say that, you know, they've stolen time from your other children, um, or maybe you've had more children than you think maybe you should have because you feel really stretched thin at times. I know that I've been there where I've just been like, am I giving, am I giving each child enough love? Satan can really work his, um, take a little bit of truth and work in those fears that we have as parents, that we aren't going to be, uh, who our children need us to be and who God needs us to be for our children. But the truth is if, if the Lord has given us these lives to steward, then he is going to also give us the grace and wisdom. It is there to be able to raise these children. It doesn't necessarily mean though, that we're going to tap into that. Yes. And, and be intentional in the ways that we do need to be intentional. And so I was receiving comments on a certain post and I I wish I had the exact post with me right now, but it was comments on a certain post where women were saying, yeah, that's what, that's what I tell everybody. My kids are going to grow up to be just fine. They don't need a, they don't need a ton of quality time. They don't need um, all these things. And it was funny because I was like, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you, you do need to be even more intentional, but it is possible to be that intentional. It's not like our kids are going to grow up and be just fine if they're just one of the pack and they never have a conversation with you and they don't have that quality time and you don't get to know them on that one-on-one level. They need that. I just want to inspire you as a parent that it's possible to do that when you have a lot of children. Not that that's not a necessary part of a child's development. Yeah. I think that's so good to clarify, Katie, because even when you were talking about the fear that can come from having 
many children or maybe you're in a season of having your children close together and the fear is I'm not going to have enough time to really get quality time with each one of my kiddos, then maybe a more validating voice would be, don't worry about it. Just like it'll all work itself out. Yeah. Or you don't need that much quality time with each one of your kiddos. And we embrace things like that as humans. It's crazy how like when we feel that we're failing to meet the ideal in our brain and then you're given like a um, cop out. Yeah, you're given a cop out. You're like, thank you. I'm I'm holding to that. Like what that person said, you don't. And it can be in any area of life. You know, it's like, thank you. I knew I didn't need to eat healthy to have, you know, a good whatever. And 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 we do that with parenting. We're just like, oh, thank you. Yeah, I don't need to have all this intentional time with my kids in order for there to be a vibrant relationship long term. And, and in order to be this this role of, uh, you know, discipler and friend and counselor in their life. And that's not the point. The point is that, no, you do. You cannot replace time. And I'm so grateful mm-hmm. that my dad is still vigilant. Like my dad is such an inspiration to me because not only do I love the way he parented me when I was younger and all of my siblings agree on that and how he parented us. But now that we're adults, he's like remaining ever as vigilant in a different role, clearly. Like he's not, he's not parenting us in this, like, you know, telling us what to do type of way, but he's very much in a mentor in a counselor way telling us like, Hey, no, you've got to be vigilant with your kids. And I remember him even talking about like the five love language book. And he would talk about parents that are like, well, I'm not really a quality time person. And I'm, and my dad being like, no, you don't get it. When you're a parent, you, you learn all of them. Like you learn to to love in all the ways that your children need to, to be loved. There's never, there's like not a cop out for any of those things. And I think both of our parents exemplified that. And it might've required a little bit of like what seemed like sacrifice short term. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, and be like, Oh, well see, like they had to take time from this and put it into their kids or they had to, you know, lose momentum in their career or whatever, hanging out with their friends. And in our short sightedness, that looks like a loss, you know, it looks like a, like a sacrifice, but of course we know according to God's word and according to just well reality, which God's word speaks to reality, you're actually investing in your wealth in the most optimal way when you're pouring in to your children. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought up the love languages book because not every child is a quality time person. If you're familiar with the love languages, there's different ways that we receive love. And so a child it might be like a words of affirmation child where you tell them they did a good job. And that means more to them than if you spent an hour doing something with them or maybe their gifts, maybe their physical touch. They just want to back rub. They just want to snuggle. Um, I know that that can be one that's kind of tricky for me because I, I'm not like the most cuddly touchy person. So I have had to um, learn to embrace, Hey, my child's loving me this way and I can love my child this way. But regardless of whether your child is a quality time person or not, getting to know that child in a very intentional way, getting to know their needs in a very intentional way, what they're thinking about. Your children are never one of a pack. And um, I think that's something that when you have a lot of kids, sometimes we can kind of, it's nice to kind of package them up and be like, how's the general vibe? How's the general health culture of the family? But a child could be getting lost in there. And so something I just want to encourage is not buying into the myth that 
this isn't God's design and will that you have all these children that you have and that he's not going to be faithful in that to you as, as we look to him as parents, but also not buying into the myth that, hey, it's all going to turn out OK. Yeah. Um, if you, you know, to who much is given, much is required. And there's a lot of blessing that comes with a lot of children and there is a lot required that comes with a lot of children. And so leaning into that and growing our own capabilities to meet their needs is something that I think is a challenge worth rising to the occasion for. And it's just something I never want to be a part of is uh, maybe encouraging this philosophy of, oh, kids just turn out okay. Mm. <laughs> kids are resilient. Kids are all these things. Uh, no, kids are very fragile and they need us. Yeah. You know, it's crazy. I love Katie, you saying, you know, with great blessing comes a lot of responsibility. You know, we're with, you know, with great, um, what is, what's the saying? Like with great, with great, uh, opportunity comes great responsibility. What did you say with great? I don't know. What, I mean, what? I think I, I think I just kind of made it my own. I think I said with great blessing comes great responsibility. That sounds but good to me. Much is given, much is acquired. That's what I was trying to remember that. that yeah, the phrase. Uh, and I think of that in you and I both grew up in, in communities where there were a lot of big families. Mm -hmm. And of course, still to this day, there are numerous motivations for why people have large families. But one of, I think the thought processes that you and I witnessed and that we did not want to be a part of was saying, okay, children are a blessing. Just have as many children as you can. And that in and of itself it's is a like, blessing. <laughs> like that's, that's the, just have them. And like, and then it ends there. And of course, that's not, that's not the truth. And that is human life a blessing. Yes. But like by bringing a child into the world, you are stepping into that role and taking on the responsibility of parenting that child and of discipling the child and, and caring for the child. Like your mom would say, creating them to be a blessing, turning them into a blessing. Yes, exactly. And cultivating right. the blessing in them. <laughs> yes, that's right. And really drawing the blessing out. And that just straight up takes time. And you, both your parents and my parents, they didn't have this philosophy of like, yeah, we just need to crank kids out and that's us being obedient to God and who knows, you know, what happens after that. They really saw the blessing in children, but they also understood the sober reality that they were going to need to mine the blessing. They were going to need to disciple this blessing for years to come. And that was going to require, like you said, intentional time and real effort in order to see that through to to fruition. Yeah. And, and they're still not done. Exactly. I think, I think that's beautiful. Um, we're just like, we're always working and learning and growing as parents. We're, we're always parents. You know, once we become a parent, it's not over at 18. It's not over when our children get married and leave the home, uh, an involved parent, someone that's, you know, not too involved, <laughs> but a parent <laughs> that's always there when you need them is just an incredible gift to a child at any stage of life. Yeah. And I see that with my own parents and their parents, you know, my grandparents, mm. my, my parents still call them up for advice and for wisdom. Yep. And, and there's still an ear and someone that they can count on. And I just think that's beautiful. It's just that generational, never, never just throwing the torch away and being like, Oh, I'm done with that. Check that box, you know, yes. but still that involvement and that in tuneness and something that you brought up too. I love that you said the world's just really offering us all the time, these excuses to be mediocre and to not rise to the occasion and to not, um, op offering us these outs like easy out. <laughs> and I think that something, um, like, okay, there was this parenting book on, 
I don't know. I was in a hotel and I saw it on the TV and these, this, it was a secular news station and they were explaining these parenting books that were like so great that they were recommending them. And one of them was the title was a little crass. Okay. But it was, you can't F up your kids. Hmm. And as they kind of go into the book, I like got so upset. I left the hotel lobby because I'm just like, that is not true. Like as a parent, you can mess up your children in many, many, many ways. And you can't just, they were saying, all you need to do is, is love your kid. But it's like, that is so vague. Like love your kid and, and we have to love ourselves and we have to love everything. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like the self-love and the, it's like, our children need love in a very practical day-to-day basis. And it does matter what we do for school. And it does matter who their peers are. And it does matter, you know, all these little decisions we make do add up and do matter. And, and it was just kind of throwing out the intentionality of parenting and saying, oh, it's going to all work out. Hmm. And I think when you look around at our society, you see it doesn't all just work out. You know, God calls us to, we just did a YouTube video last week on, ways that we spend intentional time with our kids. And I think that like, if you guys are looking for practical ideas on how we personally do that in this season of life, but, um, something that we talk about in that video is the Deuteronomy six, you know, you're teaching your kids when you walk up, when you stand by the way, when you, when you walk up, when When you you walk up, up. (laughs) when you walk up. Yeah. So anyways, um, but I love this quote and I have it written down. You guys know, I'm like, the Charlotte Mason, newly sworn in believer. And (laughs) she has this quote and she says, I believe mother, I'm going to butcher it. I believe mothers can do, can work miracles when miracles are required of them. I know. I believe mothers can work miracles when they realize miracles are required of them. And I think that's so true. If we realize as parents, like you're required to do something that's greater than yourself. Like we need Christ's strength in this in parenting, we need his humility, his wisdom, and powerful things can happen when we realize that this is the bar is set high. Mm. And especially when it comes to motherhood, I can say this just from like social media and stuff, the bar is very low. It's like your kids are the laughing stock. You, you know, fed is best or whatever. Just keep them fed however you can just do whatever you can to get by, you know, Mm. instead of setting this bar of like strive for excellence, you know, strive for excellence. And I think it's low for fathers too, because no one even talks about fathers. Fathers are just a joke. They're just not expected to do anything. And they're one of the kids and we disrespect them in our language. And, and it's just, it's just bad. Yeah. Well, we don't even need to use our own standards that you could seem arbitrary or subjective Mm -hmm. to people. We can use God's word. You already referenced Deuteronomy six and we'll put that below, but also proverb. What is the Proverbs to train up your children the way they should go. And when they're old, they they will not depart. And isn't that from like, yeah, I don't know where that is. Isn't that, what is that? I thought it, you said it wasn't in Proverbs. It was was in John John. or something. Is that what it is? Okay. All this, that below too. And then I think it's in Ephesians where, you know, it says mothers and fathers, fathers, mothers and fathers, do not <laughs> provoke your children uh, to wrath. And we're given, and th- that's just a few. I'm going to find a bunch more. I list think them it's below. specifically fathers don't provoke your children to wrath. Well, there you go. Mothers right. are excluded from provoking our kids to wrath. <laughs> nice. Uh, 
but there are Bible passages that tell us exactly what to do. Mm. And Deuteronomy six being a clear one for those are the like people of God do that. They disciple their children. Mm. They teach them the ways of God throughout the entire day. And of course we don't provoke them to anger and we, um, and we train them up in the way that they should go. And that can be very practical and it can also be in spiritual things too. And spiritual things usually become practical, you know, once mm -hmm. you, once you grow in those areas and cause I think what's so easy and this is why standards are always wavering is that it's so easy to point to people's standards say, well, that's just subjective. Like mm -hmm. for that parent, it might mean daily Bible times and, you know, doing homeschooling this way and family, whatever, like whatever they think is a high standard they're like, for me, it's this thing here. And it's, it's like to each his own. Then you look at God's word and you're kind of like, no, parents are not given the option on many things. Like one thing, discipleship. Like, no, that is given as a command to parents for you and your children. And so will that look different in each home? Yeah, but it is incumbent upon you to disciple your children. It's like, it's not for you. You can't be like, well, yeah, we just let our youth pastor do that. Or we kind of like let their uncle do it because he knows the Bible better. It's like, no, it's you and it's for your kiddo. And so I think when you own that reality and that responsibility that the Bible gives to us, then you start fleshing out how that looks practically for your home. Because intentional parenting will look different yeah. from home, from home to mm -hmm. home, but it will always require intentionality and effort from the parent like yeah, and it, it's, it never just happens exactly. on accident yes so we're like oh whoops that's amazing my kids are just great yes we love each other and we have a great relationship or or maybe it it was something that was just so deeply rooted in who you were as a parent and your value system that you translated that to your children because you did value the quality time or you did value the intentionality i do think there's parents that maybe you don't put a a, a name to it or whatever but just the way that you're living life and by your value system, it's God's value system and you're investing things into your kids. Yes. You know what I mean? So maybe it feels accidental because it's just such a part of who you are. Yeah. But I, mean, I think for most of us, we need a little outside encouragement. Yeah. And, and I would <laughs> say even with that, I think you always have to be ultra in tune to what your child needs and what, yeah, like, like I don't think we can take those things for granted. Like, I don't think we can like. Work. Well, I definitely can't. I'm just saying it might come easier for some people than others based on who's seen it modeled yes. based on, you know, based on so many different things. Yes. Like I think there's things that you do in marriage, loving me that is second nature to you because it's what you saw your dad do. Hmm. You know, I feel like that with what I saw my mom do. Hmm. It doesn't necessarily mean it's easy, but it means you just, there's just this path and it's the one clear path to walk down. So you walk down it. Yes. It's not like this battle to sure. do that. You yes, know what I'm saying? Like there's certain things that you pick up. Yeah. Okay. So I want to talk a little bit here about birth order. Okay. Because I think that this is something, these are questions. So my parents do a newlywed retreat every year. And when we were younger, when I was still single and all of us kids were still at home, we would always show up on the last day and everyone there could ask us questions, you know, see if our parents were fakes or not. <laughs> so anyways, one of the questions that I got asked as the oldest of 11 kids consistently was, are you bitter that you were the oldest 
do you feel like you were the second mother as the oldest? Mm. And um, how did that affect? Like, do you want kids? Do you not? People were really curious about that. And there was almost always someone in the audience who asked because of their experience raising their younger siblings, feeling like they had that parent role. And as a result, it kind of jaded them when it came to wanting to have their own kids. Mm. And that stood out to me as this consistent thing. And growing up, I saw this to be the case. Like Elisha said, we had a lot of big families we were around. And a lot of my friends that were in their teens, 13, 14, 15, they were mothering their younger siblings. We would go to events and they couldn't play the volleyball match because they had to stay and help their sibling eat a meal or get dressed. And their mom would be off like chatting it up. (laughs) And I was just like, your mom's crazy. Like, like, my mom's taking care of the babies and something that my parents were so intentional about that they would say all the time is we had these children. We, we chose to have these children and they aren't your kids. And so as a result, I was very footloose and fancy free as a teenager Mm. and as a kid. And yeah, we did things like the buddy system where I had a little sibling and I'd take them through line with me at a camp or whatever and get their food. But I was never mom. I never had to hold the baby while my mom was off chatting or doing her hobbies or working out or going on lunch dates with other women or building a business. And I've seen a lot of resentment. And now, you know, I'm, I'm a mom of five almost. (laughs) And, and a lot of my friends at that age or grew up that way, either haven't even wanted to get married or haven't had kids because they're just like, I did that. Mm. You know, I I was mom. Mm. And I think that that's something that my parents did really well. I never felt the responsibility of parent, even though, yeah, you helped out with your younger siblings. Yeah. But it was like the, at the, you know, at the end of the day, they were my parents' responsibility and I never felt that. And that's something that I want to give to our kids. Yes. Like you said, we want to teach our children to be responsible and they'll have chores around the house and they'll be hard workers. But parenting is our job. Like we, we brought the kids and all of our children into the world and it's our responsibility to be mommy and to be daddy. And, and I'm with you. I don't want our kids to feel, uh, this pressure of, I need to take care of, like, I need to tend to the well-being of my younger siblings in some way because daddy and mommy are too busy you know, mm-hmm. recording a podcast. Or, yeah. Or yeah. That's something I want to be intentional about. Big time. Me too. Um, because I think this is a fine line because my parents did raise us to be very capable. Like I did babysit my younger siblings, you know, at 10 years old, I, they went on a date and I was babysitting the kids, you know, and I loved it. And I thought it was cool that they gave me all that responsibility with my other two sisters right next to me. We all did it together. And so that was, that was awesome. Right. And I do think a lot of parents, they maybe start in with this perspective of, especially if you're wanting to cultivate domestic skills and your daughters and stuff like that, because they are really lacking in, in the world. You know, a lot of girls grow up and they don't know how to cook and they don't know how to keep a home. And, you know, those are, those are practical things. But I think that it starts out with this kind of like, well, my daughter's going to need to learn how to cook and keep a home and watch children one day. So I'm going to facilitate that in her by having her take over these roles in our home. And then as a result, daughters like Mrs. Domestic at 12 and 13 Mm -hmm. and mom's off like living her best life in retirement. 
And it's just a joke. And it's so sad for me to see because having responsibility, having capabilities, having your kids be able to babysit, make meals, whatever is wonderful. But there is definitely a line that it crosses over. Yeah. And that I've seen very consistently in big families. Yeah. And you say living her best life in a sarcastic way. We actually don't believe she's living her best life. That's the irony. Usually when that term is used, that's not the truth. Yeah. You know, the- I think I, I think I say it a little sarcastically, but I also say it in a true way. She's she's not having to make dinner every night. She's not having to, you know, watch the kids. She's off like like, yeah, something very practical, like recording a podcast. Like I don't want Leon and Lucy to feel like they're home raising our kids and we're off doing something. Yes. Um, Oh, well, I'm helping your dad work in business or whatever. Like that's something I want to be very aware of because I've seen moms tap out too early Mm. um, and go help their husband start something. And I'm not saying there's, there's not times to work together with your husband. Like that's going to be a part of her life to some extent, but you guys get it. I think with almost everything with relationships, there's these fine lines. It's not black and white. And that's what makes it tricky because if it was black and white and there are five steps to raising perfect kids, I mean, we'd all be like, give us, sign me up, you know? Yeah. Well, I don't think, I know I don't have to speak hypothetically it, with this stuff and talk about, you know, other people doing this. Cause I think that I've found myself so recently falling into these excuses, falling into these, uh, like saying things that I, Two years ago, I would have been like, well, I just don't believe that or I'm not going to say that. And it's been really convicting, even in regards to this. And I don't, it's probably not as true for you as it is for me in regards to like my goals. It's like, oh, we, you know, I want to do this with now that we're a family, or I want to do this with the next property that we buy. And you start, maybe I wouldn't say it out loud, but I would start making these little subtle compromises in regards to, you know, even date night. Where it's like two years ago, it's like, do you, okay, do you, here's the question. Do you need a consistent date night to have a healthy marriage? It's like, no, I don't, I don't think you do. Do you need to consistently date your spouse to have a healthy marriage? I think you do. And I think a date night like facilitates that a date night can really facilitate dating your spouse. And it's crazy how like a year ago, two years ago, when we had less money, when we had less time available, I was like vigilant. And about creating a date night for, for us, whether that was tracking down a babysitter, saving money f- to go out to eat. And as we've gotten busier with life and, you know, the kids have gotten older, so they're requiring more of our time and our energy. And then we're getting more and more plugged into our local community. And so now we go to a small group one night a week. I go to a father-son ministry one night a week. Now, because of the new work schedule, Katie, Katie only works you know, roughly three hours a week right now. And it all happens kind of in an evening time. Mm-hmm. And, and then you, and then you, we have our Sabbath night and then we have usually somebody over for dinner throughout the week. And so the point in me saying all this is, oh man, the, the evenings fill up really quickly. And I found myself like three or four weeks ago being like, well, you know what? Like Katie and our marriage can thrive without a consistent date night. I know we're talking about parenting. I'm like, I do yes. not know. I feel like this is like what Elijah's processing personally. <laughs> and it's like coming out on this. I'm trying to see how it connects. The, po- sure the point does, I'm saying is I found myself going down that path of basically buying into the excuses of like, yeah, you don't need it. Come on. You can have a great marriage without having a consistent date night. And that was creeping over into how I was viewing my children. Like you don't need the X, Y, and Z 
to have quality relationship with your children. It'll all work out. And I was compromising essentially on what I knew was best because I know what's best for our marriage mm-hmm. to have a consistent, ideally weekly date night. That's just best for our marriage. For us, it is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I don't know what kind of marriage out there doesn't do better when they have more quality time, like yeah. intentional yeah. time mm-hmm. together. Does that make sense? I'm not saying you have to make it happen weekly, but that is ideal. So when did I stop going for the ideal? In our marriage, I talk about like my marriage being the second most important thing to me. It's like my faith and then my marriage. And so I'm not going to go for the ideal in that. And I'll put that time towards my business or towards other people in our community or towards, you know, my hobbies, because that's ultimately where that time was going. And I was starting to make these excuses and find all sorts of validation out in the world, right? Like it's not hard to find validation for that. And that was starting to creep over into my parenting where I was thinking like, well, you know what? The kids are young now while they're, while they're young. Like, you know, you hear this, I'm just going to work hard while they're young. And then when they're older, I'll be able to spend all this quality time with them. I don't know how many times I've heard people say that. It's just kind of like, I'm just going to work my face off now. Then I'll have all this time later. And it's like, no, parenting's right now. Like the priorities are being formed right now. The discipleship's happening uh, right now. And so again, I, well, you're always laying the foundation right now for the next stage. Yes. And I don't think you notice till the next stage when, oh, the the foundation's out. Like wow. that was a faulty foundation. Yes. And so, you know, and I think the Lord's so gracious to give us little things at a time. Yes. Right? He gives us like an infant and it, and it's so overwhelming for us at first. And we're like, how do people do this with more than one kid? Right. And then we get two and then we get three. And somehow we keep growing these new capabilities. And I feel like it's like that with the ages of our children too. Yes. Like. We're intentional when they're infants, then we're intentional with their toddlers. And it's like the stakes go up mm. a little bit higher with each age range. Mm. The mistakes are are more dramatic if you do make a mistake and, and kids start to see through you more. And you need more humility, I feel like, the older that you get, because I mean, your kid doesn't know if you're proud or not when you're four when they're four and you tell them what to do. <laughs> when I'm 14, <laughs> they do. They they sniff that out. But I think if you don't have that foundation of the toddler years. And that relationship building and that obedience training, then in the, you know, the middle years, yes. the middle childhood, you notice that. And if you don't have that foundation of middle childhood, you notice that in teens. I think you do notice it, but I think this is one of the, this is something that I think has caught a lot of people off and we read about it in that book. I think I mentioned this last week too. Yeah, I know. Did I actually wrote re- that down as something to talk about. I kind of want to, yeah. Okay. We'll go there and then we'll go back to birth order. Because there's three things I want to talk about in birth order. Okay. And, and okay, so I'll wait until that. Okay. Since you've got a plan here. No, that's okay. I just, talk about I, it right now. All I want to say is speaking from my own experience, and I think that this is a thing that's, that is common in culture, is that it, it's, we think it's like the worst thing ever to feel bad about how you're doing something. It's yeah, like, that's true. Like if you feel bad about how you're doing something, the last thing you should try to do is improve upon it. Yeah, just like, make yourself feel better about doing, yeah, feeling bad about it. Exactly. And so I, I found myself going down that rabbit trail of like, ah, I really want to spend more time with Katie. I probably should. No, I, instead of leaning into that and being like, if I'm feeling guilt in regards to my marriage or my parenting, I should consider that. I should take that to heart. And I think a lot of times Christians, we lean on that Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And that is 100% the gospel truth. Amen. But there's still conviction of sin. 
There's still our conscience that lets us know when we're out of God's will. Like we get to live in this freedom of not being under condemnation, like being positionally righteous because of what Christ has done. But we still have a conscience and we still have the Holy Spirit convicting us of sin and when we're out of line with what God's priorities are. Mm-hmm. And we've really, I know for me, it's like, I'll, I'll adopt this attitude of like, well, if I feel bad, the last thing I should do is address the thing that's making me feel bad. Making me feel bad. And maybe get better at it. Yeah. I should go find something or a different standard that validates my current priorities or my current habits versus being like, wait a second, like my conscience is kind of pricked every time a week goes by that I don't take Katie out on a date. Like <laughs> we're still talking about the date, Elisha. It's <laughs> a different example. It's like, instead of going and balancing, well, this is good. This is good. This is good. It's just kind of like, wait a second. Let me, let me actually lean into that. I do value my marriage. I want to put my money where my mouth's at. I want to put my time where my mouth's at. I want Katie to see me sacrificing in other areas for the sake of marriage. And that's a big thing. It's like, once you start realizing, oh, I'm gonna have to sacrifice this, I'm gonna have to sacrifice a, you know, an evening jujitsu class to have a date night. Like, well, that's actually really easy when I view it as like, what's more valuable. Does that make sense? But if you just keep going week after week after week, then you can easily find people to validate why you're doing what you're doing. Yeah. No, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) My word. That is such a tangent. I think what you said is really good. I love everything that you said. I think it's really true. I know I departed from the whole parenting thing. (laughs) It's some extra golden nuggets. The the thing is, is that it was starting to creep into my parenting. Does that make sense? Where I was looking for validation. But really, we need to get a date night. Sounds like we really need a date night. Uh, okay so no that's that's really good it's probably going to be like people's favorite part of the podcast okay so i do want to go like jumping back to birth order if you're cool are you cool if we go there i'm pretty cool with that yeah i've i've said my piece okay (laughs) Uh, talking about middle children because this is something that did not when people would always ask, how's your experience growing up in a big family? I'm like, it's great. It's awesome. I loved it because my parents were really aware of the whole eldest child thing. Okay. feel like they nailed that. Felt no pressure. I was good. So then, but then as I've gotten older, I think I have really realized the difficulty that can come for parents with the middle children. And something to keep in mind is that the middle child is often changing, <laughs> right? Yeah. So like right now, Louis, I would say is kind of our middle child. We have four. So, but with this fifth child, it's really going to bump him into middle child position. And I think even now we have two really big personalities and Leon and Lucy, we have a boy and a girl. So they both kind of have their own things, their own like draws and things that take our attention. And then Lawrence is the baby currently. And he just, the baby always demands attention. Right. They have like they're like the most needy. And it doesn't matter if the baby is newly born or like our giant two year old toddler baby. Mm. He takes a ton of attention. (laughs) And so we started noticing like Louis, our current middle. And it's really easy to overlook the middle child. And it's easier for them to become one of the pack than any other child in that birth order. Hmm. And I think also middle childhood or the, the middle children can come at a tough spot for moms and dads, because you're trying to like, 
like your first kids are kind of like your success path. Like you're like, I, I hope I can homeschool this kid. Yeah. If you're homeschooling, right. Or you, you're hoping they're going to get educated. However, you're educating them. You're hoping they're going to have some social skills at the end of the day. I'd say even backing up to the beginning, it's like, yeah. I hope I know how to train this kiddo. So like sit still yes. through church, like, so like to be obedient. Like when they, when they're running out to the road, you know, it's like that they'll stop right when I say and come back to me so that I keep them. Safe. It's like, you're just, you've got it dialed in. Yes. With that, with that first one. Like they're taking all your attention at every stage and like at a toddler stage. Yeah. Like we were focused on like toddler training because that's all we were doing. And now it's like the, the, the middle kids or the, the older kids are always cracking into new territory. So yes. it's always new and kind of like sketchy for you as a parent. They're going to be driving first. They're going to be dating first. They're going to be like all these first and you're on your toes because you don't know what's going to happen. And, and so they're so consuming. And then if you have little kids, then you're trying to you know, take care of all their Just needs, the physical needs, and, right? Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of physical needs with little kids and these middle children, especially when you have teenagers, that's going to put often the middle children in that like middle childhood range where they aren't causing a lot of trouble. That's the most chill age, like six to 12 of like developmentally. A lot's happening underneath the surface. There's a lot of hidden currents underneath there, um, but it's not coming out. Hmm. Yeah. Like it does in the toddler stage or like it does in the teen stage. And so it's really easy to just be like, we're good. They aren't taking a lot of energy. There's yes. not a lot of demands on my time. They're following in their older siblings footsteps. At this point, we aren't super stressed out because they're going through stages that we've already had like semi success or learn from with our older kids. And so we can just kind of miss out on, on their experience in the family. Yeah, we and as individuals. neglect like the time, putting time into them. Yeah. Yeah. They have a hard place in the family order. Yeah. I think like you said, especially when they hit that, can we cross over into the book now? Yes. When they yes, hit that, no, okay. when they no, hit that age that. of, uh, and this is going to, this is a generalization, but the book is when your kid is ages six to 12. We'll have it linked down below. We um, recommend this book all the time. We read it when Leon was five. I'm rereading it again now. Elisha mm. is too. And we want to reread it every year. Yes. Because to your point, Katie, the shortcomings in your parenting tend to show themselves forth in your children's behavior when they are uh, younger. Mm -hmm. It's like, wow, we miss a week of child training. You take them to church and they're you're like, okay, wow. You know, back, <laughs> back to the drawing board. Like, control. Yeah, we got it. We got to, we got to get, we got to make ourselves boss again. And so it's like very cause and effect and it's pretty instant. And then, like you said, when you've got teenagers, it's a lot more noticeable. You're like, boy, like they're not talking to me or they're acting up in this way. But that's that age range of six to 12 ish, like your children are naturally people pleasers. They're naturally wanting to please you. And things are generally just good. Like they don't want to be dramatic. They want to be relationally close with you. They're their not primary um, motivation is their parents' pleasure. Yes. So they just want you to appreciate them. It's not necessarily discipline or, you know, negative yes. attention. It's, it's just wanting you to think they're awesome. Yes. And so the, the point that this guy's making in the book is that oftentimes parents will take for granted their parenting or they'll think they're doing great. So it's like, man, my 10 year old, they know they just love me. We're on such good terms. They, they are so helpful with their siblings. Uh, they, they love going to church with me. They love our family Bible times, but they're not actually building this relational, I guess, trust and this relational equity. We use that term a lot so that when they do hit those tough teen years, 
their parents are like the people they go to. Like, so in other words, the age of six to 12 is this great opportunity to capitalize, capitalize on that, on the child's like devotion. Nat- yeah. Devotion to you and be like, okay, so this kid really loves being with me. They trust me. They want to please me. Let's, you know, let's hit the word of God. Let's establish some like some like doctrine in their life, some theology, knowing what is true, what is false, what is good, what is evil. And then it's also establish a deep relationship. Let's go get experiences together. Let's just garner this huge repertoire of experiences together. Let's grow in our friendship. Like they're going to act like they're cool with me, regardless of how good our relationship is. So let's make a point to actually make it a good relationship because when adolescent hits, it's like they're the true colors of your relationship will show. Yeah. And, and so we like, we're kind of talking about like middle children, but this is whole like middle childhood thing has been really big for us because one, we're entering into it. And so we really want to become experts in it Two, It is the foundation for the teen years. And I just, I want to have my children's ear when they're going through those seasons and when they're making really big decisions for their lives potentially. And, um, that's a point that I actually put down here as a potential myth, like Elisha already touched on that, or a pitfall in all families. And that is just summed up in, you do not know how good of a job you are doing parenting when your children are in middle childhood. When they are, in six, to tw- when they are six to 12, you do not know if you d- are doing a great job or not, because your children are going to have just this level of devotion to you. Hmm. And they aren't going to act neglected if they're being neglected. They're just going to be happy for the crumbs that you're dropping them. Hmm. And in their teen years, they're going to look back and be like, man, you were dropping me crumbs. Yeah. You expect me to have respect. Yeah. <laughs> you expect me to listen to what you have to say to me. Yeah. And so that's just a season where I see so many parents be like, no, it's, it's great. Yeah. Like you said, like my kids, the way they're being educated isn't affecting their worldview at all. Yeah. You're like... You have no idea. Give it, give it a few years, and then you're gonna see the fruit of what was going on in this season. Yeah, because the, you're the, kind of you're walking blind. Yeah, because with the whole education piece, they're not going to challenge you until they are in their adolescence. They're not going to question mm-hmm. whether or not you're a voice of authority or what they believe. Or yeah, exactly. Until yeah. they're until they're in their teens, until or they hit adolescence, which whatever age you know it feels like it's coming early and earlier these days <laughs> for kids. Um, uh, and so, yeah, like what, what actually have you done relationally and education wise that they are going to then like resort to and mm-hmm. fall back on when they are in those years where they are questioning everything and who are they yeah. going to go to as an authority? What are their moral standards? What are their, um, character standards? Mm-hmm. Who do they value? Who's speaking into their lives? All that stuff matters in those years when it doesn't look like it matters at all. Yeah. And then we try to we realize it's too late in the teen years. And obviously we're really young parents. Our oldest is six. So this is not a personal experience thing at all. Oh, I feel like, I feel like I've thought so much about it. It's as good as experiencing it. I just lay yeah. in bed and I, and I envision it. <laughs> kind of like know? when you're single and you picture how you're going to be as a parent. Yeah. Or as a spouse for that oh, matter. Yeah, you're like, oh, I'm going to be such a good spouse. <laughs> you are. You are. No, visualization is powerful, you know? Well, I do think looking for the future and learning in a, in a season at any season yeah. is, is valuable. And obviously we're not going to, again, act this out perfectly. We're going to look back and be like, oh man, you know, we're going to have regrets like anyone else. But I do think being aware of like, oh, 
when our kids are this age, their devotion to us is not an accurate representation of necessarily how how good we're doing in our parenting, if we're being very effective or not. So just kind of doing the best that we know to do, you know, seeking the Lord for wisdom, just as much as we were seeking him for wisdom with, you know, the two-year-old that's running the show mm-hmm. um, and not letting off in that stage, but keeping the intentionality, keeping the conversations going, keeping the time going, just doing what we know how to do best um, or, or doing what we best know how to do. Hmm. What am I, What am I trying to say? Like just taking the steps as best we know how. Yeah. And um, not saying, oh, I don't know. Trust how to- that the Lord's going to work in that. Yeah. I mean, that's an interesting, like, just thought process there. Cause I think that a lot of times we'll say, oh, the Lord, you know, the Lord knows. Like, he's, the, it's a toss up. Like, he'll, mm-hmm. they'll, they'll come back to him or they, they will not like, what we do in their childhood and in their education and in like training. doesn't matter. It's doesn't, e- doesn't even matter. Exactly. The Lord's going to work as well. And clearly the Bible speaks to the opposite of that, that there is clear cause and effect in how we parent our children and even not just our children, what we, what we do as, as individuals, like what we put into our mind affects how we think, what we read and study and meditate on forms our convictions. It forms our thoughts. And we've got that ability with our children now to start shaping their world of you to shape their thoughts. And, uh, I think it's, it's like, can we, do we have the ability to save our children? I don't think so. The Lord does that. Like the Lord yeah, saves absolutely not. our children, <laughs> but who, do we have the ability to disciple our children? Mm-hmm. Yes, we do. Do we have the ability to train up our children mm-hmm. in a way with, so like there are promises given to mm-hmm. parents, to Christians say, Hey, yes, treat your children as though they are Christians. And, and this is how that looks. As a, as a parent, you, you disciple them, you teach them God's precepts and you let them know that they're set apart and they live different from the rest of the world. Yeah. And then kind of touching on the baby, right? Cause you talked about the eldest, the middle kids, the kids that are kind of in the middle yeah. age range and then the baby of the family. And I think that with the younger children in the, in the family, especially the bigger your family spread is. So you know, the further the distance from your first child age range wise to your baby, whether that's three kids or 10 kids, you, my, my parents had this thing that they'd always say, we need to finish the race. We need Mm -hmm. to finish strong. We need to finish strong. And I remember, um, I was in my teens we were at a family camp and Elisha's mom was there and and dad, and they had brought Elisha's four younger brothers to the camp. Hmm. And I was kind of surprised that they didn't just come with their older siblings because, you know, they were old enough that their older siblings could take care of them. And I remember Lisa, your mom saying, well, she goes, we need to finish strong with these boys. They still need our input. Hmm. And I just, I just, that really stuck out to me. You know, she was like, I still have these boys. They still need a parent looking over them. Yeah, they have big siblings, but there's nothing like me being here present to just, you know, make sure they're good. See who their influences are. Check mm. in on them. And I think that's really cool because it's really easy to lose steam, right? We're, we're like zealots when we start out as new parents. Yeah. Like we are going to do everything right, whether it comes down to like the material the pacifier is made out of or like, you know, everything mm. is yeah. just like we're so intentional. And then by the time that last baby comes along, it's easy to fall off the bandwagon. And also it's really easy to start letting the older children dictate what the younger children are being exposed to at what age. Yeah, And that's just something that kind of comes with having 
a big family. Yeah, that separation is like your teenagers are aware of pop music that you didn't have in the home when you had, you know, Barney playing in the background for your younger three. Well, I mean, if you've got Barney playing for younger three, then you've got (laughs) other problems. I feel like. (laughs) What do we play in the home? I don't know. Like we like the little like Steve Green worship songs, right? Like hide them in your heart. Yeah. That's what we have playing in our house these days. And it's like, everyone's totally cool with that. They think it's awesome, yeah. you know? But then I remember, you know, being the oldest, I'm 16, I'm 17, I'm driving now, I'm bringing home country music. Some of it's good, some of it, looking back, had more meaning than I knew at the time. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, how do you navigate that as a parent? Because that's natural. Your older kids are getting older, but then how do you still um, guard and protect the younger kids without them just being exposed to things that aren't necessarily... Um, keeping their innocence or keeping that carefreeness that maybe the older kids had when they Mm. were younger. So that's, I've seen people navigate this well and people not. That is, that is a challenge though. That's just a tricky situation. Yeah. My parents are in that stage right now. Yeah. I mean, we, they're talking about it, you know? Yeah. I've talked about that with like how different when Joby was 12, my oldest brother, Joby, when he was 12 versus 20 years later, when actually Rudy, no, sorry, not 20 years later. When 16 years later, my brother Rudy was 12, the youngest in our family. Um, how, sorry. I feel like they might be 18, year, 18, 18 years. 18 years. Because so, me and my youngest sibling are 18 years. And it was case similar. Yeah. So similar. the point is, is that Rudy was 12, 18 years later from when the oldest Joby was 12 in our home. And it looked so the landscape had changed dramatically Yeah. as far as the the media in the home, the music in the home, like you said, Um and, and, and a lot of that parents. was, I think a lot of that can be good. Like, obviously there, you have to be vigilant in, in what you're exposing your kids to, but also by the time my brother Joby, you know, was my brother Vance was, Oh, <laughs> by the time, when you have this many siblings, yeah, by the time my brother Rudy, the youngest in our family was 12, the 18, 19 and 20 and 25 year olds in the family were having a lot more serious theological conversations and the the conversations around the home were about marriage and and about training the grandchildren. And so they were also exposed to, in a a positive way, a lot, almost like more mature thinking too. Yeah. So I do remember your parents kind of like being like, we need to rein this in and kind of reestablishing new boundaries. Yes. With with, some of, with some of the younger kids once they get to a certain range. And I think that that's something we just always have to be open-handed with when it comes to our parenting, reestablishing new boundaries. Yes. Because it's easy for our boundaries to just kind of slide over time and we get comfortable with certain things. Oh, yeah. And um, we need to just, we're going to, Elisha and I are going to listen to this like in 20 years and be like, yeah, we need to finish strong. <laughs> well, you know, what's cool is that finishing strong as a parent, I don't think it ends not that cool. I think we need to view it this way. I think it is powerful. It's, it's a lifelong journey. And yeah. that's like my dad's viewing it more and more that way. It's such a Western and, a, and, a, and an American thing to think like, I just got to get my kids out of the house. You know, like get them to yeah, 18. Like, what does it's like, that what? You still care about this kid. And when they're off making terrible decisions, it still hurts your heart. Like, oh, but, well, not, and, all, and honestly, it's like they're you're making great decisions. You're so grateful. Yeah. But also just like the responsibility should only increase at those stages because the, the decisions they're making from 18 years and beyond are all the more detrimental to like the outcome of their life. Does that make sense? I mean, or, obviously or positive. Yeah. For po- positive or negative. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, the point the point being is that it's like, man, just have this perspective that this is finishing the race 
is just like finishing your faith, the, the faith, you know, it's finishing yes. the race as a Christian. But it's having the same intentionality with our younger kids that we had with our older kids. Yes. I think going through different seasons. Yes. Same intentionality with their education, the same intentionality with te- training them spiritually, the same intentionality with guarding them and protecting them. Yes. And, it looks different because you can't just boss your 16 year old around like you boss your four year old around. Right. Um, yes. The intentionality can stay the same. Yes. The intentionality just kind of stays the same. So anyways, I think I think the number one pitfall in big families is ultimately parents that don't have a humility before Christ and a dependency on him and think that they have the answers. Wow. So that is not what I want you guys to get from this episode is that we have the answers because I think that is the number one pitfall that I see. Um, and kids smell that out and eventually you're like, you are so wrong. I'm going to make my own decisions. And I think that's something both our parents still are. They're still humble. They'll mm. still ask for forgiveness if we bring something to them. And I mean, we're so immature compared to them, but I feel like they, immature or we are, we are, you know what I mean? If yeah. there's something like I bring up to one of my parents, like they're still like, Oh, thank you so much, Katie, for saying that. Like, it just makes me feel like, wow, like I need to hear from you more, you know? Yeah. Wow. I mean, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Yeah. And I think that grace can really be seen in families where it's like my parents had humility Mm -hmm. and God was gracious towards them and and their family. Your parents were so humble before God and and, and before us too, which is crazy. And, and God, God was so gracious in their family. Yeah. Cause really God's the only one who could guide us in this way with our kids. Yes. You know? It's, it's not a program or more people would be doing it right. <laughs> so anyways, maybe that was a little food for thought. Maybe you could like talk to your spouse about it. Maybe you can disagree um, or come up with some of your own pitfalls that you think families see. We're always open and on the lookout for like, what are potential pitfalls, you know, not only in our season, but in seasons coming up, it's just Parenting's a big, long, exciting journey, and it's filled with so much like joy and so much potential. Like, who yeah. knows what's going to happen? You know, and it is nice to identify various dangers, you know, and various yeah. um, obstacles. It's uh, it's like the most what is it? The most dangerous enemy is the one you can't see. Yeah, like you don't know exists or something. I don't, I think it's something like that. I think it's Sun Tzu or something. And yeah, <laughs> just Google Sun Tzu, okay? Yeah, the most most dangerous enemy. Uh, the point being like the, <laughs> as soon as you can I- identify various dangers and enemies and you're able to combat them or avoid them. Yes. Um, because also Sun Tzu said the, uh, dang, I can't remember any of these hey, quotes. Alexa, it's like the best, you know what Sun Tzu said? the best course not? of like the, the best course of victory is winning without engaging or something like that. Dang it. What? This is the worst. Let's just end this thing <laughs> okay. before I think of more Sun Tzu half quotes. quotes to say. All right, folks. Thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you next week. Bye-bye.